I believe we need some labor rights for the microorganisms. I mean, you didn't need to bring the whole Middle East into there. They, they didn't have to. Back in my day. You should go find a maiden, you, you loser. <laughs> the only kid show I can think of where the main character commits genocide and they treat it as a good thing. It's gonna be a wild ride. Will we find the elusive third brain cell today? Find out. In this podcast. So you're just assuming that the three of us, we only have two brain cells. So which one of us is missing the brain cells? Well, I've got more like a half a brain cell. Like it's sort of forming. It's like in that cellular like reconstruction stage. I feel like I'm about a third. So Sammy's got most of it. Yeah. Sammy's just got two brain cells just firing between the two. Yeah, man, it's like a particle accelerator. It's just they're particularly accelerating into themselves at a particularly accelerated rate to accelerate their own particles. We study physics. Do they do they like collide into each other? And like, is there evidence of the Higgs boson in there? No, it's just a messy crime scene. And we're going to need a temporal detective to uh, figure out what exactly happened at the end there. Oh, well, you know what? Actually, if we found some particles that gave our brain cells more mass, it wouldn't matter. Then then we could still have half, but they'd still be as massive as a normal brain cell. Yeah, mm-hmm. but then you run into the mass to surface area problem. That's the reason why living life forms can't get, you know, beyond a certain size. True. It's 59.8 inches, I believe, for a human. That's how much our skeletal structure will take. Oh, you were talking about your skeletal structure? I was talking about my, oh, okay. Well, you know, uh, I don't know what the cardiovascular system uh, has to do with with that. So that'd be a good question for a cardiologist. Well, it it has to do with very small organisms can function just by diffusing, uh, very inactive. While once you get larger, you have to have active transporters. And doing certain things just takes more energy. So then it becomes a problem of how does your organism get enough energy to sustain itself? If you're a really thick, fat-ass organism, you just have many organisms and organelles inside your organism transporting that stuff for you, which may take more energy. Hey, yo, I put some organisms inside your organisms so you can transfuse while you fuse. So are we just talking about... pregnancy (laughs) well our bodies are full of trillions and trillions of little tiny bacteria and other microorganisms that's the only reason we're able to live it takes a team Mm -hmm. it takes a village and we're the boss at the top the ceo that's just you know making all the money while all the little workers live and die and we just we we don't even notice now it if I'm the CEO or the boss or the dictator, so to say, I just, you know, anything that's not working, I just want to take it to the library. I'm just saying. Mm. Are, are we going back to child labor don't. now? No, nope. we're talking about organism labor. I believe we need some labor rights for the microorganisms in our gut. I don't think that would work out well, man, because if they start revolting, this whole thing gets shut down and we won't get anywhere. I mean, I think they do revolt. That's like... That's like when you get sick and you got to upchuck, right? That's like, hey, here's the revolution. We didn't like what you did. Or they're just like, we don't like this. And then you either fall into a coma or you faint. Or it's like when you take uh, antibacterial medication, like you have a bacterial infection 
And there's just so many trillions of casualties in your gut that you weren't trying to kill them. They were the civilians in that Middle Eastern town. Um, and you you drop nuclear bombs regardless. I've kind of mixed my metaphors here. I was going for yeah, Middle man, that East. Yeah, man, so dark. And then I just you like didn't... swerved into Japanese territory. I mean, you didn't need to bring the whole Middle East into there. They, they didn't ask for that. <laughs> Neither uh, did the microorganisms. Well, that's that's true. But, you know, they they operate on a different time scale because they're, you know, small. So I imagine that in the course of a human life, like, it's like the entire universe is rolling by. It, you know what? And that's what Osmosis Jones taught me. Uh, there you go. Obscure 2000s movie that most people probably don't remember. Hmm. I have a very vague recollection of that. Do you uh, do you remember it at all, Sammy? I love Osmosis Jones. That's how I learned all of my biology knowledge as a kid. Right? There you go. And the TV show was better than the movie. I mean, like, straight up. But the movie was still fun. Who doesn't love Chris Rock as a white blood cell? Dude, that was, like, almost the best part. That was the best part. I don't know. Wait, that was David, Chris Rock? David High Pierce as a... An Advil? I don't know. I don't remember what he was. He it was a Diroxy something. Welcome. Yeah. <laughs> he honestly should have been dissolved and digested like halfway through the movie. Wasn't but we like, did appreciate his presence. Isn't that like part of the plot is he's got to like, he's only going to be there for so long before he's out. And then he's like, nah, I'm going to stay because y'all need Jesus and I'm the best you're going to get. Gosh, I got to go back. You know what? I feel like I got to go back and find that movie now. The only things I remember were some of the drama, the animation, and then the fact that the live action segments had Bill Murray have a giant pimple at one point that blew up mm-hmm. onto Tina Fey's face. That was Tina Fey. Wow. I feel like you're going to have that experience, though, when you go back to something that you enjoyed as a child and you realize that's actually terrible like i had that experience with i remember really liking quest for camelot as a kid and then uh at family gathering my sister's boyfriend was there and we we watched uh quest for camelot with him and we were kind of apologizing throughout the whole thing like this was better in our memory i we're sorry right well it's like when you're a kid you you, like that you just like get into different parts and i vaguely remember quest for camelot and i want to say that it's like very like the jokes and stuff like are very slapsticky and kid friendly like the plot isn't like complex by any means Mm -hmm. well you got the bad guy who fuses a sword to his hand so and he's very that was pretty cool as a kid yeah you know i it is cool as a kid but now whenever i see like an artist do that. Like I was reading a comic earlier today. I was reading like a Korean webtoon and a villain showed up with sword hands. They're like, haha, I'm so powerful. And I'm just thinking like, man, um, don't you got to eat? Like, uh, what do you do when you use the restroom? Do you, do you pay somebody on retainer to like help you? Or like, is it just a messy affair? I mean, if you think a sword is bad, one of his minions has like two ball and chains for hands like arms so there is no way like how does he go to the bathroom now granted he is all metallic so maybe he just doesn't but does he rust 
see, this is one of the problems with growing up is that all these things just become so much harder to like enjoy because you're thinking, wait, what are the practical applications of this? And how do you actually live as a like person? You know, I think that's where magic comes in. Now that I'm remembering this, you said the ball and chain guys. Like, It's funny because I haven't thought about this movie probably since it came out. And I don't know what year it was, but I want to say it came out before Shrek came out. Uh, so, like, I'm remembering vague details and I'm like, weren't they, like, made of armor? They're constructs, so it's probably fine. But the human with the, you know, sword hands, that that's a problem. Well, the oh, bad yes. guy had a potion that he basically poured into this pool thing and he pushed his minions in with different weapons and they became fused with the weapons in different ways. Like he, he put an axe and a chicken in, or well, I guess rooster, uh, and it became blade beak. He just, his beak was an axe blade. You know that that's a, that's a D&D monster. It's like an axe beak. I think is what they're called. <laughs> so clearly D&D was inspired by Quest for Camelot. Uh-oh. Maybe. I think that movie's like 1997 and like TSR was like officially incorporated in like 1980, but sure. So all we have to do is introduce time travel and then it's clearly inspired by Quest for Camelot. Hmm. So anyway, welcome to the last three brain cells. <laughs> Welcome to the last three brain cells, 10 minutes into our last three brain cells. Uh, where we clearly talk about the high questions of what would happen if you had ball and chains for hands, or is this uh, villain's plan really worth it? Speaking of which, we, we have a smashing good time here. Uh, just swinging ideas around. Swing! So anyway, I'm Lucas. I'm here with Jeremiah. Ayo! And Sammy. That's me. It's a him. So the first thing I kind of have down is recently Elden Ring came out. Oh, yeah. You've been you were excited. Like, I remember getting texts like, hey, check out what came in the mail. And uh, the entire like board game group was like, you lucky dog. It it's a good game. Um, that being said, uh tree sentinel is a dick oh killing yeah. him is the greatest thing i've ever achieved in my life um oh no wow, wow. more uh, so than my degree look you know i have a very uh vague idea of what happens sammy do you know much about the souls like games or elden ring in particular nope yeah, so Lucas, I think you're going to have to give us some context, because I hear Tree Sentinel, and I'm just, like, picturing this giant Ent with a big shield who is really rude to you, and I, that, that might be wrong. It's, uh, he's nothing like a tree. He's just found the place that has a lot of trees, which I'm assuming is why he's called uh, Tree Sentinel. So Elden Ring, which is one of the Dark Souls games... Uh, well, not technically part of that series, but by From Software. It's it's essentially a more open world uh, version of Dark Souls. It's like if Dark Souls and Skyrim had an ugly baby that turned into an octopus-werewolf hybrid and started devouring the townsfolk. Why do I know why that looks like? 
Yeah, that's that's kind of what the, some of the monsters in the game look like. Uh, but it's because it's so much more open world, it allows them to place really, really tough bosses in really, really easy areas because they're technically optional. And one of the first bosses you run into in the game is called Tree Sentinel. Uh, I, I ran to him fresh out facing the tutorial boss who was a piece of cake. I was feeling like I was hot stuff. And I got bodied by this guy. And after Damn. about 20 to 30 tries getting annihilated, I realized, you know, there is a stealth mechanic in this game. And there are bushes placed here and there. I'm probably supposed to just sneak past him and come back later, uh, but I refused. So I died another 20 to 30 times to him before I finally decided, fine, game, you win, and I moved on. Hey, what's the average amount of time from finding Tree Sentinel to death? It depends. Uh, 20 seconds? 30 seconds? All right, oh. so 20 seconds, you've died about 60 times. He kills uh, you in two hits. Let's see. And then you have to like, oh, no. walk your way to him. You probably spend a good like, three one. hours on this. I think I spent more than three hours. I, I spent quite a while trying him. I mean, but that's your experience with a Dark Souls game is you expect to run into a boss that takes you 50 tries before you're able to beat them. It's just in this case, it's very clear you're not meant to be able to beat this boss. He's just kind of the welcome to FromSoft game, suck it, um, character. And throughout, the, the nice thing about Elden Ring versus a lot of other From Software games is because it's so open rolled and there's so much stuff, like an insane amount of stuff to explore. I've been playing for, I, I don't know, somewhere between 20 and 30 hours probably. And... I've only been the first of five bosses you have to take down in order to assemble the the Elden Ring. So I'm like maybe like a fifth of the way through and there's so much stuff I haven't explored. What? I did periodically come back to challenge the Tree Sentinel and would subsequently get bodied again and again. And then I'd be like, fine, I'd leave. And then after another few hours of gameplay doing other stuff, I'm going to go fight him. And that happened about four or five times before I finally killed the bitch. You know, the best part is going to be when you check out like a speed run where you're like, all right, let's see what they do. They're probably going to do tree set in a last. And you watch somebody run up to him naked and beat him in like two minutes flat. And you'd be like, I hate you. I hate you. I've I've seen stuff like that before because my main introduction to the From Software games was Sekiro: Shadows Die Twice, which is a fantastic oh. game. Oh. Uh, but I've seen like YouTubers and streamers beat the final boss without any leveling, without any upgrades. Which in Sekiro, the final boss, you have to perfectly deflect, which is essentially a parry every single attack. Otherwise, he insta-kills you if you don't have anything leveled up. Now, See, me. I have a lot of respect for those types of games and those types of like players because I think either Sekiro or another one, I tried it not knowing that it was a Souls-style game, and I basically, like, I escaped the jail, 
and I'm trying to like escape the compound. And I basically never completed level one. I think I got pretty far and pretty close, maybe two times. And then the next 13 times, I never got that far. And I just rage quit because I'm like, I'm a very much like I'm running in, I'm doing my damage and I want to be strong enough that things just die. But these games are so skill based where it's like, oh, I need to parry. Oh, I need to dodge. And I just get to a point where it's like, when can I stop parrying and dodging and just hit you with my big metal stick? Like, it's so technical and I have so much respect for it. But it takes a play style that I have not yet adopted myself to to master. Hey, and I don't think everybody wants to or needs to master it. I uh, I played the original Demon Souls and I've worked my way through some of Dark the first Dark Souls. I think I got to the Gargoyles boss and got a little ways and went, all right, man, I see the experience and the appeal. This is cool. And then I uh, put in Borderlands instead. <laughs> well, the, Dude, that's a mood. The, the Gargoyles boss is famous for being one of like the newbie killer. Ooh. Oh, yeah, it's it's hard. I mean, like the way the boss fight works for anybody who hasn't heard it like you already have this really tough boss and as you're working it down and you get better at it and you're like okay cool i can probably defeat this thing you get it down to half health and then another one of them shows up and it's like oh hey you thought one was hard now deal with two of them Ugh. that yeah. hurts me in my morale right and i i'm interested to know because i know that uh the from software games have this like fun kind of like a movie where the first 10 minutes gives you like a pre preamble to the story or tells you kind of what to expect the from software games have you do like the first level and it's not too bad. They give you the tutorial and then they have you fight the first boss and it's just supposed to kill you. And they're like, Oh, Hey, by the way, you're going to die a whole bunch. Good luck. See an Elden ring. You go through the tutorial, you, you emerge from your cave that you just fought through and it's beautiful there's green everywhere you're like plowing forwards there's some random guys like oh you're maidenless you should go find a maiden you you loser which is actually like a thing like the number of times npcs had told me oh you're maidenless you're doomed what okay so i have i am tangential on this because i haven't played the game i still check out like the uh video game websites and stuff, but I haven't read about what Maidenless is. I've just seen like posts like, haha, the internet makes fun of everyone else for being Maidenless. What is being Maidenless? So in the game, the Maiden is you use her magic and give her runes and that's how you level up. So if oh. you're Maidenless, you can't actually level. And so until you get a Maiden... You're just stuck at the level you're at. Can you pick different maidens? No, there's just the one maiden who joins you. You gotcha. Okay, this is the world of From Software. You don't really have choices. Okay, well, when it other comes than to that sort of thing, other than like, how do you want to die? Oh yeah, there's there's a gajillion ways to die. Yeah, but uh, they they love rubbing your lack of mans in your face, and then later in the game, there's a character who asks you if it's okay if she embraces you and she's like sitting down and she basically just cuddles your head to her breasts and then you get a blessing that you can use 
And then she's like, come back whenever you need this again. And it's like, aw. Hey, sometimes you just, you want to be pulled into somebody's bosom. Yo, that's a mood. Shed, I'm, I'm shedding a single tear in the chat, in the non-existent chat. Triple yeah. Fs. I, I saw a meme that was talking about that as saying they really know their fan base. <laughs> they, <laughs> they added this character whose purpose is she holds you and gives you a blessing. Well, look, after you're through such brutality and you just like have to question your, your own ability and you grind back through it in a game like that, it's just nice to have somebody who's like, hey, I know we've hurt you a lot. Do you want a hug? And the answer is yes. It's like petting the dog in a game. Like petting the dog is like cathartic in a way. I feel like it's more like being the dog getting pet. Ooh, ain't that the truth, though? We all need to feel like puppies every once in a while. Speaking of petting, this is not going to be as bad as your mind might I mean, where you just came from, that it it really sets the trajectory. Yeah, uh, it's it's not going to be as bad as it could be. Uh, So in the game, there are summons where you can summon basically spirits. They you can only do this at certain places on the map. It's kind of like they also have a spectral horse that you can summon, but a lot of the areas, especially some of the tough areas, you can't do that in. So it's kind of like the original Dark Souls experience. Uh, It's basically a quality of life thing. But at the start of the game, there's a list of different things that you can choose that are like a special item that your character starts with. And one of them lets you summon feral imps so Hmm. for the first like two hours of playing the game i couldn't summon these imps i couldn't figure out how i was like wow this item is terrible and then i got to some of the boss fights that let you summon imps and they're my boys they're they are the children i didn't know i needed I I wish I could just give them, like, belly rubs and pat their heads. It's like after a hard fight when they're just following me around, there's no enemies left to slay. I'm just like, aw, who's a good boy? You're such good boys. So do they, like, come in super handy or are they just adorable? Oh, no, they're good. Uh, They they attack. A lot of that has to do with distracting enemies. They got a decent chunk of health, so they stick around for a while and when they're at range, they can throw basically like blue magic grenade things that like explode on impact. Uh, so they're they're actually very good. Okay, okay. So any more highlights from the Elden Ring that you've uh, you've experienced recently? Uh, let me see. You have when you play these types of games, you have the fights where you're just so close to winning or you just barely win like one of the bosses i had i i have to admit i swapped out my boys for a jellyfish for this fight it was a betrayal they don't know about don't tell them i still love them but the gel and the reason i did is the jellyfish that you can summon has a ranged attack that can poison enemies and so this boss killed me and after you die, you like see what happens for a few seconds after your death, 
And in those few seconds, I watched the boss's health mirror tick down to zero, but I was dead. So <laughs> that hurts. Like that hurts on a fundamental level. Like, oh man. And then like right after you die, they die like a second later. You're like, that's some bull crud. Yeah, I and- definitely know that experience though, because in the one slash in the one video game that I play that I absolutely love in Destiny 2, in older about years ago when it wasn't nearly the game it is now, I had an experience where like I, I had to do a secret mission and the mission was super hard. And I was doing it all by myself and I could barely do it and I should have gotten help, but I was trying to be a good PvE solo player and basically I got to the final boss and I was being all tactical for the first time in my life ever and I'm doing it and I'm doing <laughs> it and I'm hiding behind cover and I'm shooting him and then I'm like, okay, his health is pretty low. If I use my super ability, I can probably end it. And I pop my super ability. I run up to him. I'm throwing flaming hammers of sunlight. And it's going great. And then he just walks up to me and stomps the ground. And I go flying off the map. And I'm like, oh, fuck, this is over. His health is so low. But if I die beforehand, it's, I'm going to have to restart from the beginning. And it took me all night to get this far, right? So I throw my last flaming hammer before my super runs out. And I try to just float in midair. But eventually, um, using my like uh, double jump ability, eventually I just fall, and in you know it's giving the countdown of like three, two, one. But at two, the solar damage tick killed it, and I'm just praying the game will register it as a win. And I guess I got lucky that it did in that case. But man, it was I spent a solid like five hours of my life trying that. I was so upset. Wow, did you go back uh later with like a crew to like run the same uh same I don't know instance raid whatever it is in Destiny? Yeah, I was able to finish the mission for myself, but um I ended up going back another two times to help some friends doing it. And it was so much easier with help. Oh my goodness. It was almost disgusting. Isn't that just life? And does oh, Elden yeah. Ring have any way that you can pull people in like like Sammy was able to pull in a crew to deal with his flaming hammers or take advantage of them? Yeah, so the game does have multiplayer features. Uh, I haven't, I don't have the PlayStation Plus or whatever it is for my uh, PS4 to have online. So the only time I summoned guys was uh, for the first shard bearer, which are like the big bosses of the game. They're there's five of them, and your goal is to defeat all of them in order to assemble the Elden Ring. Uh, there's an NPC character who hates this shard bearer boss, and so you can summon her as an NPC to help you. Which is actually, hmm. I had a really tense showdown with this character, uh, this boss, because I he he in his second phase he like starts. He can do like these grab attacks that deal a bunch of damage. And it was right at towards the end of the fight. And he grabbed me with his special grab attack. I look at my health bar. I'm like, oh, I'm dead. I just have to wait a couple seconds for him to actually kill me. And he finished the move. My health bar, I couldn't see anything. And it really tricked me because the NPC I summoned happened to also die at that exact same time. And so when a character dies, there's a certain sound that plays 
I'm sure anyone who's played soft from soft games know what I'm talking about. And so I like took my hands off the thing. I was like, oh, I'm dead. Oh, that's BS. And then I saw my character stand up. I was like, whoa! And I just like grabbed the remote and like rolled away, desperately used my last heal. And then it's just one, two, and he was down. And it was the slightest victory I've had so far. You know, I think they call that the magic pixel. Mm-hmm. You know, speaking of magic, this this kind of like went over my head for a second because of where we were talking and the story. But I realized I don't know anything about Destiny. And you just described like some sort of cleric of raw throwing hammers at things. I, I thought Destiny was like an FPS game. But what is going on in your story? The more I think about it and mull it over, I'm like flaming sun hammers. Like what? <laughs> You know, if we wanted to have a whole episode about the amazing lore in Destiny and Destiny 2, there are some great YouTubers, and as the community calls them, lore daddies, that could really go into depth. But basically, Destiny is an F first-person shooter like no other because they really double down on space magic abilities on top of the first-person shooter aspect. Um, you basically have three classes, your classic knights, magicians and rangers but in this amazing world they're called titans warlocks and hunters and you each have the supernatural power bestowed upon you called the light which can manifest in three main ways one of them being solar like so like the fire of the sun another one being uh electricity and the last one being a void which is basically like the absence of light that comes from the nature of space and just the universe. And so for the Titans, which is my main clash, hashtag, hashtag Titan Master Race, um, the Titan's solar ability is to summon flaming hammers and you just keep chucking these flaming exploding hammers. And in Destiny 2, um, this instance I was talking about actually happened in Destiny 2, not Destiny, that's my bad. Um, I was fighting the Pyramidian for all the Destiny fans who know. But basically, they had an update in um, one of the expansions where instead of just throwing flaming hammers, you can summon one big, giant, burning maul. And when you slam it on the ground, it summons a flaming tornado that, like, seeks out nearby enemies and just explodes on them. And, yeah. And then you have, like, the, the arc ability, which is, like, you basically turn yourself into, like, a living electrical bomb and you just keep running around slamming the ground charging into people sometimes turning into a missile and just flying into the sky and just slamming into people and it's so much fun and i love it but that's just a taste a taste that's super cool you know now that you're describing this i just had this like flashback because um i've played a lot of dungeons and dragons i two or three years ago i was super into reading about the game and what people were doing with the fifth edition rules. And you just clicked in my brain that I read these rules for something called Dungeons and Destiny. Have you heard about this, Sammy? I have not, but it sounds amazing. Okay. Dungeons and Destiny is a reimagining of fifth edition for the Destiny setting. It started out as a homebrew and it, I think the company actually, yeah, I just pulled it up. The company uh, Velvet Fang, for anyone who wants to look this up, made a rule set with like new classes and 
the rules of D&D set to actually like have the destiny mechanics. Because I remember reading about it and I'm like, what is going on? Why can I pick this light void grenade? And there's all sorts of things. It's really oh, yeah. cool. I think the company has a has a PDF of it for free and you can like buy like print copies of the book. But uh, apparently it's been going on for years and people have talked about how cool it is. Maybe check it out and see what it's like. But um, I would love to check that out. Definitely. There you go. I don't know how obscure they are either. I think they've been like people have talked about them before, but man, Destiny just sounds like a whole trip. It sounds like a different trip than Elden Ring or the Souls games, but like a similar like, hey, if you want to go find out some lore, go check out our lore daddies and like deep dive. But if you just want to go fight some stuff, you can go fight some stuff with space magic. Oh, yeah, that's that's basically how it is. So it's like Destiny is LSD and uh, Dark Souls is uh, shrooms. I wouldn't be able to tell you the difference. Neither can I. I took an educated guess. (laughs) You know what? That's going to, I think that's probably going to be some community feedback. Somebody's going to have to hit us up with an email and be like, that's accurate. Or no, no, no. You guys are way off. All right, fine. Destiny is LSD and Dark Souls is crack cocaine. I think the shrooms one probably like from my standpoint of what I believe drugs are like. The, the shrooms one sounds like it makes more sense. Crack cocaine sounds like it's like uh, like candy crush. Fine. <laughs> Third time's a charm. Destiny is like LSD. I'm sticking with that one. And Dark Souls is like meth. Because after you've lost to the same boss for the 50th time, you probably look and sound a little bit like a meth head. Oof. It, Man, I'm going to go back on this. I, I still think more apt to like Candy Crush because Dark Souls, I don't know anybody having lost their teeth from playing Dark Souls. Ooh. I don't know. If they got frustrated and just face slammed into the desk, they might lose. Yeah, Candy Crush, I think, more likely. I feel like Candy Crush is like a very subtle, like you get addicted to it, but like it only hurts you mentally. Maybe. I I mean, I don't know. I played a little Candy Crush and I was like, because it came with like the last phone I got. It was already installed. I'm like, all right, let's check it out. And I went through like three levels and I'm like, all right, match three. That's cool. And then I deleted it (laughs) like straight up. Yeah, you didn't get in. You didn't get into it deep enough. The Candy Crush was definitely an, an issue once you get to like level 165 and you're like, why can't I just beat this? It's so easy. You know, now I'm just thinking about the uh, the lore daddies for Candy Crush, like the deep lore of the Crush universe, the King Saga. That would be really interesting to like figure out and learn about. Wait, is this actually a thing or are you just riffing? I, I'm riffing, but you know what? A uh, little bit of research is going to yield some interesting Google results. I tell you what. Actually, that made me think because I've seen some videos from Game Theory, good old Matt Pat, where he's talking about some of those annoying, terrible game ads and how some of those games through their ads have it's like this crappy game, but they have really deep and like disturbing lore, Hmm. lore implications, like a weird plot with like murder and blackmail and stuff. 
and it's it's uh, it's a bad Candy Crush version. It's the actual gameplay. Hmm. Apparently, there is a story for Candy Crush set in the magically tasty world of the Candy Kingdom. Wow, getting in deep now. It's here where you meet your... I'm just reading this from their Candy Crush Saga wiki. (laughs) (laughs) They have a dedicated wiki for it? uh, Yes, although it doesn't look like there's that many pages. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to do a deep dive on this, but my favorite is just this opening description of Candy Crush Saga set in the magical, tasty world of the Candy Kingdom. It is here we meet our quirky, yet extremely knowledgeable guide... Mr. Toffee, who runs the candy store in Candy Town. And I think candy my favorite town. my favorite part of that is that the line, it is here we meet our quirky yet extremely knowledgeable guide. Like it's just like this is like reading like a spec script or like a script that it's like, here's this character describing them like are quirky mm-hmm. but knowledgeable. Uh, it's just like that's a it's an odd, like oddly specific detail. See, my brain is just focusing on the fact that one of the characters is called Toffee because another another show that I've watched and actually a show that I have very strong feelings about uh, is Star versus the Forces of Evil because oh one of the villain's name is Toffee and he's the best villain and they do him dirty in the show. Um also, Star vs. the Forces of Evil, the only kid show I can think of where the main character commits genocide and they treat it as a good thing. Interesting. Gotta love modern TV, you know. What? Okay, so spoilers for Star vs. the Forces of Evil. A show that has been, like, completed for a couple of years, right? Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. So Several you know, years. Several I- year spoiler. I... T- Oh, I could rant for hours about Star vs. the Forces of Evil. I it It's one of those shows that I feel like teaches me something about how you shouldn't write your story uh, huh. for a cartoon. Uh, because they they it could have been really great throughout the whole thing and they just like mess everything up. But where the genocide comes in is... Okay, this actually has yeah, to do with Toffee's character. So in Star vs. the Forces of Evil, the main character is Princess Star. She basically comes from this royal line who has this wand and basically has this super powerful, can create its own spells, um, rules the kingdom. And it has a racism story where there's monsters in the universe which are treated like secondhand citizens. Um which is because in the past there was a big war and lots of bad stuff happened. Toffee is a monster and his objective throughout the first, I think it was three seasons, is he wants to destroy all of the magic. And he pulls off this complicated plan. It all works exactly like how he wanted it to. And then Star... uh, deus ex machina kills him which he was supposed to be basically unkillable that's kind of his thing and it just it that pissed me off but then later at the end of the show star decides that magic is bad because it's oppressing the monsters and blah dee da and so she decides in the end to destroy magic now this has the effect that all the magical creatures just fucking die <laughs> when she does oh. that. Oh my. Like her 
kind of guide glossaric is uh his name he just dies and he's like the captain of the magic ship so he just dies with it and they had episodes where her wand had a universe inside of it like a world inside of it where all of her different spells had different personalities in their own little society they all they all fucking die it's just all of them die and the show just doesn't address that the so, fact that so many magical creatures are now dead because of what Star did. So hold on. Toffee has this complicated plan, like, where he's going to get rid of magic. Or they, them, or whatever they identify as. Well, Toffee intentionally gets blown apart uh, in order to split Star's wand so that then he can basically infect the wand which is linked to the magic and through a very complicated series of things he brings himself back while simultaneously destroying the magic and then star just out of nowhere deus ex machina brings all the magic back and kills sure i guess my question is just like you know broad strokes his goal is to get rid of all of the magic right Mm -hmm. okay so she kills this guy whose goal the whole time is to get rid of the magic, and then later just goes, eh, you know what? I've come to the conclusion by my own ideas that magic is bad, and I'm going to get rid of it. They literally have, Star says in the show, wait, so Toffee was right. And then in the magical room she's in, there's a, a painting or whatever of Toffee, or it's a tapestry, not a painting. And he just head, head pokes out from the tapestry. It's, it's weird magic stuff. And he just goes, surprise. And then that's that's as far as they do go to address that issue. Wow. He really just pulls a Dave Chappelle and he's like, I'm a James bitch. And then he just disappears. It also towards the end, there's one of the best characters in the show uh, is Queen Eclipsa. She was part of Star's family, and she got in a bunch of trouble because she fell in love with a monster, essentially warlord, and so she was kind of castrated, but ends up, you know, coming back later on in the show. And she's actually, you you would think she was the villain, but she's actually a really cool character. Um, and the whole thing is her husband's frozen in the crystal, and everyone's worried about him getting out because he is this big evil bad guy and in universe they directly say that he like ate people and he killed like other royal people's families it's just all this bad stuff is confirmed in universe and then they end up laying him out of the crystal and he's just like a super nice guy and he just doesn't do anything bad ever oh he so he doesn't like eat anybody or anything no it's it it completely negate. It doesn't make any sense with the background that they gave because maybe he got his fill, man. You know, you eat enough people, you're like, nah, I think I'm gonna go vegan. You maybe know? that. Maybe that was the point of the story. Is they're like, hey, don't always listen to what you hear. Make your own choices. Well, there's there's an episode in it though where Star uh, basically holds a banquet for another royal family. And she does all these things to try and get them to like monsters, like puts on this dance thing. Um, and then and they they just hate everything she does. And then at the end, she's frustrated. 
She's like, I did all these things to try and like basically appeal to you guys. Like, why do you hate everything? And then they go through each thing she did and how it's actually like really bad. Like the dance is a dance honoring the slaughter of like their ancestors by this guy, this monster who's now frozen in the crystal. And just everything is just relaying back to atrocities of war that have happened to them. And Queen Eclipsa uh, is there, and when Star asks her, she's like, it's complicated, and they never elaborate. That huh. just sounds like willful ignorance and willful lack of intervention. You know, it sounds like the writers were just having a fun time, and then, this was a Disney show, right? Disney XD. Yep. Oh, yeah, it sounds like Disney, they're just like, and, you know, hey, it's fine if you have genocide, but, uh, don't talk about like the specifics or like uh, any of the intricacies. Yeah, just don't do like a deep dive. But it's cool if you just show it. And they probably got to a point where there was like, oh, this show is still going. I guess we can actually do some plot stuff. But then like that would have led to some minor like retconning and like, oh, what we want to do with these characters going forward doesn't necessarily line up with how we've built them up in the past. So we're just going to skip over some of this, you know, and just uh, let the people enjoy it for what we're serving them and let them forget the ingredients we put in it beforehand. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. The me. thing that bothers me is there are, I guess, tasteful ways that you can go about incorporating heavy concepts into your children's show. Like, we talked about Avatar The Last Airbender before, but that show starts with a few episodes in, you find out that the firebenders commit genocide on the air nomads. And it's just, the story would have worked really well if the monster that is frozen in the crystal was actually, like, a monster, was a bad guy. Because that would have made all the beats in the story make sense. It would have made... Uh, Queen Eclipsa, a much more interesting character, because then she would have been essentially a good person who fell in love with a bad person and now has this conflicting things because she loves him, but she can't let him free because he'll do bad things. It could have been a really interesting, really cool story uh, if they hadn't. Well, well, you know, Lucas, let me ask you, you this sometimes question. Sometimes you're just in, into the if bad boys. Queen Eclipsa you, is you know that so, they're bad for you. If Queen Eclipsa is such a good person and she fell for such a terrible evil person, how would you how would you'd have to find a very unique way to be like, "Oh, despite all of his terribleness, she still loved him." Like since it's a kid movie, you can't be like, "Yeah, he was a terrible person, but he knew how to lay down the pipe," you know? But since you can't do that, it's like, "All right, how do we say that this totally pure person fell in love with this monster either we have to like lessen the monster or we have to lessen the good person you know well there are you can have a person who's a monster who is a charming person like he could be charming but just be capable of very bad things or just have a bad temper that sometimes breaks and leads to him doing bad things like him eating people yeah and i mean this was in the midst of war, there was a lot of presumably messed up things going on. And also, Queen Eclipse is kind of a naive person, so it would be believable that she might fall for those sorts of things if 
a monster was uh, charismatic um, at the surface. Sliding into her DMs. Okay, okay. So he slid into her DMs and he was like, yeah, so sometimes I get really pissed off and I just eat people. Hope that hope my diet doesn't offend you. Also, I love, you know, just tearing people up. But that's fine. That's fine. I'll still whisper in your ear. You know what? I I, that. That's Isn't that more like kind of representative of actual toxic relationships, though? Like, hey, you know, you develop the relationship. Here's the things I like. And then the negative qualities come out and you're justifying. You're like, well, no, you know, he just eats somebody every once in a while. You know, it's not like every day. It's like, oh, it is every day. Well, you know, like they, they had it coming. And they had it, it could be what she says in the show where they bring up something bad that he did. And she says, oh, it's it's complicated. Uh, it, it could be a thing where he's gaslighting her throughout it. And so she doesn't actually really know or really understand the things that he's done she's just you know being emotionally manipulated in that way there's there's a lot of interesting things they could have done but they needed a good villain and and one of the few good villains they had was toffee um and i'm not gonna go into what they should have done with toffee because that's a whole nother rant you know it's interesting. There's a there's another very large fandom that has a kind of similar problem, I think, because the villain is really built up and then there's like nowhere left for them to go once he's free and all of that. Right. Other than like actually having him live up to it. And uh, I think the same is true for Harry Potter with uh, what's that spell? The Avracadavra spell. Right. Like mm-hmm. you guys are familiar enough with Harry Potter. Right. You, you know a little bit what I'm talking about. Yeah. So from a story perspective, when you're reading the first couple books, like this spell is like the worst thing, you know, and what's terrible, especially like for young kids, it's like it kills you. So, you know, it's bad. But then as you get further into the series, you know, basically what it becomes is like, hey, we can cast the spell and it's basically just a gun, right? Like somebody could shoot a character and it would result in the same thing. So it's not like the worst thing and people can still use magic to hurt each other in other creative like ways that aren't just like hey here's a blast of pure magic that's gonna murder you it's kind of like the same thing like there's this build-up and then it's been built up in a certain way and you just don't have anywhere to go from there you've kind of written yourself into a corner Mm. yeah and there's Mm. there's the the forbidden what, I can't remember exactly what they're called, but there's like the three spells you're not allowed to use. There's the the avocadabra or whatever killing spell. There's the torture one, and then the one that lets you control them like a puppet. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's a lot of really terrible things. Like in the second movie, the oh, what's his name? The professor who tried who would erase people's memory and then steal their accomplishments pretend that they were his like gildroy lockhart or something like that did he really did he really cast memory spell i don't really remember i i read the book and i just took him to be kind of like a um no he he really did that uh he tried to do it to ron and harry 
but he had Ron's broken wand that was like taped back together. And so it backfires on him and he loses all his memory. But that's why, because he's famous for all these amazing things, but every time something comes up, he's worthless. And the reason is the only talent he has is memory magic. He's really good at erasing people's memory. And what he's done is he's just found people who did amazing things, erasing their memory, and then pretending he was the one who did it to get famous. Huh. Yeah, I don't... It's it's funny, like, because I probably read the book... I read Harry Potter in my adult life, not as, like, a kid. And, uh, like, that... It's not something I remember from the story from, you know, probably two or three years that I read. I... I just remember being like, wow, this book went dark. And uh, that was like my biggest takeaway from, uh, what is that, Chamber of Secrets? Yeah, that was mm. the Chamber of Secrets. When you first brought up Harry Potter, I thought you were going to talk about Voldemort in that he's a very two-dimensional villain. Uh, but I feel like that's all he needed to be. He was never meant to be a very complicated, interesting villain oh. He just served the evil guy. Kind of like in Avatar The Last Airbender, Ozai's not a very complicated character. He's just the big bad that the show needs well, at the end. I think that there's a motivation that draws them. Now, full disclosure here, I've read three of the Harry Potter books. I haven't read the fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh. You know, I was told by some people, hey, you should just go read them all. And I was like, uh... You know, I'm enjoying them. I'll space them out and I'll get to them as I get to them. So, you know, I don't really know. He he seems like a good enough villain for the books. And, you know, Ozai has his own motivations, um, which mostly looks to be conquest. I don't know if it was like the way he was raised or what. But yeah, he doesn't he doesn't need to be more than like, hey, he's a warlord. He's looking to gain more. Uh, power and influence and that's bad and look at the bad things they've done historically this makes it even badder better yeah so yeah no that's not not what i was really thinking of i don't know he seems like he's a villain who's built up like well over time you know the book starts off like oh yeah that guy (laughs) so yeah, I think and- sometimes, though, it's good to have that two-dimensional bad guy where he's like, nah, I'm just here to mess things up and do some bad stuff. And I feel like there are times where like, there, it's very beneficial to have that setup because it's not that you, there's a lack of complexity, but it helps simplify some of the plot points and um, uh, plot threads which allows you to add a higher level of complexity elsewhere in your story, if that makes oh. sense. Absolutely. You know, and I don't think every villain needs to be complex, understandable villains, right? Like sometimes it's you can have enough so that you can understand where a character's coming from, but they're mm-hmm. still like the bad guy. I'm trying to think, you know, a really good example would maybe be for me would be like uh, uh, the panther in not the panther, the leopard in uh, Kung Fu Panda. He's, mm. you know, you can understand what his background is, but and they were did a really effective job showing kind of like where he was at. But you know, he's still going about things in a bad way. Like you don't, you don't need to get super duper deep on it, um, on mm-hmm. the the villain thing. You just you need to have enough so that somebody can kind of like 
maybe see their perspective. And sometimes it just works out to have like, hey, yeah, they're going to destroy the world. Well, why do they want to do that? I don't know. They just they want to destroy the world. Like, just take it as it is. Come on. Let our heroes be heroes. Yeah. And I think that works so well in Kung Fu Panda because the story is about Poe getting to the point that he's able, he has the abilities in order to defeat the leopard. It's not, he doesn't have any personal stakes with the villain. It's just, is he going to be able to better himself to the point where he's able? Well, he has personal stakes. His personal stakes come a lot more to community, though. Because, like, that leopard, um, which, man, I wish I could remember his name, but it's been a while. Uh, is it Tai Lung? I might be no. thinking of something else. Shifu's the, the teacher. Uh, I think it's Shai Lung or something like that. Yeah, Just I think like it's Tai Lung. Tai Lung sounds right. So as he as he comes out, he is, he is a character who's been imprisoned. He was promised something his whole life, and he worked hard for it. And then he wasn't the one. And he's he's like, no, you promised this to me my whole life. I'm taking what's what's rightfully mine, what I feel like it is. So, you know, in the way that Poe is actually the dragon warrior, so he has uh, beef with him. And then that Tai Long is coming to destroy the town and, you know, act out and rage out against people who are important to Poe. He has stakes, but they don't have like history. I think that's the distinction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's why I meant there was no established history between between them. Uh, for the purposes of Poe, you could sub in any other generic uh, bad guy who's going to mess up the town, and it would fit in that role. I mean, he had a well, lot more for personal stakes with uh, Shifu. I think is the name yeah. of his master. It- mm-hmm. Well, that's what makes that story work, right? Because the relationship between Shifu and Poe... So Poe, it is his story. He's the hero in the hero's journey. But there's an acceptance for Shifu of, hey, I raised this kid. He was going to be the best thing ever. And then it, w- it he wasn't picked. Like, Shifu wasn't like, hey, Tai Long, uh, it's not you. Like, you know, I decided this. Like, he has to accept somebody else's decision. And then the person who is absolutely not someone he wants to train, absolutely not someone he's like, oh yeah, this is this is a fit for my team. He he clashes with that um with Poe and clashes with that idea of like, hey, this is what my life, this is what my team, this is what like our monastery is gonna look like. So it is yeah. definitely more of his story, um, or he's got more of the the history, but you know, that's the thing about hero stories as they're thrown into the story and they just they go and poe gets what he wants but it's not exactly the way that he thought that it would happen and yeah i think that's what makes that a good story i think kung fu panda is uh, probably one of the one of the best kids animations of all time um i would agree uh kung fu panda is a fantastic movie uh speaking of another well. another show that uh has genocide since there is a panda genocide by cranes in the second one. Oh my. See, I don't really remember anything about the other movies after the first one. Um, the second one's a really good movie. Like the story's good. Uh, but the timing is off. Like there's like jokes and stuff that to me, it felt like the pacing was just weird. 
Like it would take you to this dark moment and the movie would need it. And then they went like, hey, we just went really dark. Quick, throw out like a slapstick joke. So like the pacing of the movie to me is like a a weird, like kind of lilting tempo. But other than that, like all the bare bones of it are pretty good. Hmm. Yeah, I I felt that a similar way during the second movie, but I did enjoy it all the same. Yeah, it's good. And the third movie, I think, is just from what I kind of remember, it's like basically the second movie over again. I, I remember it being all right. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Um, you know, I own Kung Fu Panda one and two. They sit on my my shelf of movies that I would conceivably like just grab and watch <laughs> if I had time or if I was like going to put it on in the background, which is a like a compliment for me. But the third mm-hmm. one, I was like, eh, I'm good. That makes me think because you brought up just having something playing in the background. Do you guys have any things that you like to put on or listen to that's just in the background when you're doing other things? And if so, just kind of what are those things? Podcasts like this one. So I hope you're enjoying this podcast while you listen, because that's what we're here for. Hooray! We're here to fill in the buzzing in the emptiness of your brain so you don't have to actually evaluate you know life and what's what's happening around you wow speaking of going dark is that mostly what you listen to uh sammy do you like throw podcasts on while you're like working or taking care of projects honestly yes um unless i'm writing something like when i'm at work i like having a lineup of podcasts i listen to i have like a monday comedy podcast i have two tuesday comedy podcasts I have an every other Thursday comedy podcast and a Friday, sometimes early, and it's Saturday comedy podcast. If it comes out on Saturday, I just push it up to Monday. I have like one or two news comedy or not news comedy, (laughs) news pod. I have a lot of comedy podcasts. I'm sorry. I have a couple news podcasts. They're shorter because I don't like spending too much time listening to the news because it's really easy to get like biased and you know, hyped up about stuff that, you know, sometimes it's good to have different perspectives before you get too fired up about something. Um, And then I think I have one more, I think, oh, I have another Wednesday comedy podcast and another Thursday comedy podcast, mostly comedy podcasts. (laughs) Wow. Lighten the mood a little bit. You know, when everything is so dark. I like how you have a podcast for each day, it feels like. Like, every day you change up. Like, all right, I just listened to this podcast yesterday. Time for the next one. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it gets really interesting when they all have different takes on the same issues. Because then, similar to the news, it's really easy to, like, listen to one comedy podcast. And they're like, yeah, they made these jokes, but this is how I feel about it. But then, since each comedian has a different comedic take... You also get to hear a wide variety of jokes, but also you get to appreciate, you know, different perspectives that you wouldn't have otherwise come across. Right. It. I imagine that because most of those guys are are probably probably pretty topical. So, like, you know, something happens at the start of the week, and there's going to be at least one event that people are talking about through the end of the week. Yeah. And then every once in a while, something will happen during the week. So, like the the context changes it's rare that there's like just one thing that everyone's going for you know but yeah it's usually a good time pretty interesting i also uh listen to some podcasts now i don't 
probably use the platform that most people do for listening to podcasts because I usually just watch like YouTube videos. Um, so there, there's a horror podcast for like horror movies that I like listening to. Listen to some creepy pasta type stuff. Wow. Um, I've been following, uh, listening to this uh, third campaign of Critical Role. Uh, that sort of thing. There, there's also a few other YouTube channels that I put on, uh, but they're mostly just sleep aids. Um, I don't know what it is. It's just I, I like having something playing rather than just silence. Uh, it seems to help me fall asleep if it's, you know, something low key like that. Well, I feel like I'm the odd duck out here. I haven't. I prefer silence for most things. Like I'm thinking there's like very select things that I'll throw even like music on. Like unless I'm in the car, I'm usually not listening to uh, anything. Car is like typically radio or uh, sometimes I'll throw on like History of Rome. History of Rome is still a great history podcast. But uh, man, since I moved out of my parents' house, which has been a long time ago. Um, I haven't really thrown things on. At the time, I, I liked to throw on the Adult Swim, like, late-night lineup, and that's when I was doing, like, work at our computer. Like, TV would be on behind me. It was, like, a whole bunch of shows that I had all watched before, so it was just kind of, like, comfort. Like, you know, you turn around, and you're jumping in at your favorite moments, and then you're back to, like, doing work. Same thing. I guess the real big change there was just that since I moved out, I've not had a TV that's been hooked up to a network or cable. So I just kind of like, if I'm watching something, I'm watching something. If I'm not, I'm probably thinking about something or doing something totally different, like engaged with whatever activity I'm doing. Hmm. Is is cable still a thing? Has uh, Netflix and streaming not killed it yet? Um... It's slowly killing it. I think, yeah, cable's still a thing. And, you know, we like, we've lived through the golden age of streaming. Like, the, I think the golden age was like 2010 to like 2015. And then, like, everyone realized what Netflix had going on and Hulu when it jumped around. So I remember there being like three streaming platforms. And nowadays there's like over 380. Like, there's like Tubi and like Discovery Channel stream. I don't know. Pick your poison. Like when I found out that Jeffrey Katzenberg had his own streaming service, I was like, what is going on? Jeffrey Katzenberg, by the way, being a guy who did a lot of work with Disney in like the late 80s and the 90s before uh, going to DreamWorks and making Shrek. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Whole topic of discussion there, but like. The point being, like, there's a million and a half streaming services nowadays. There was, really... there was a magic time, even for, like, Netflix, where Netflix had so many shows from, like, all over that all you really needed was either Netflix or Hulu. And if you had both, you had, like, access to, like, every show that was, like, conceivable that you could find. See, hmm. my prediction is that as time goes on, stream more and more streaming shows are going to start forcing ads into their platform, uh, kind of like Hulu now, uh, to the point that pe- there will be a reversal 
where people will start recording stuff again on their TVs or, you know, various places and just fast forward through advertisements instead. Interesting. I I think that that's more likely to happen through something like YouTube. Like, I feel like you're going to see just access because the the question always comes back to, like, is there money to be made in it? I mean, like, let's just be real. Like, as cool as some of these services are, like, like companies go to where there's money. Right now there's YouTube. That's why you get so many ads on YouTube anymore. Like, I mean, I remember when YouTube didn't have any ads on it. Like, when it was just, like, a fun, like, website. I mean... Back in that time, back in my day, blasphemy. Back in my day, that's where YouTube, like, you could still keep track of, like, they had a video of the day. Like, they weren't using an algorithm. It was sort of like Flash Player, um, where they, where they compiled, like, all the games and animations for, like, the week. And there were creators that you knew who nowadays, like, I'm sure all these people have moved on to careers or aren't on the internet anymore, but, like, I know, it's just a different time. With classics like the the guy with the lightsaber. Mm-hmm. Star Wars kid. Star Wars kid. Um, yeah, stuff like that, you know. Um it's weird because I, I feel like at a certain point early on, you know, if you had ten thousand subscribers or ten thousand views, just like people checking out your channel regularly, you were like the top stuff on YouTube. And now it's like you know, unless you've got like 400,000, you're not anything, you know? Yep. You're nothing. Get back in the dirt. Yeah. Well, and at least YouTube still kind of has a different content structure. I feel like they had that time where they made their streaming service like YouTube Red. Are they still even making like content on that? Every once in a while. Okay. Uh, well, there was that time where they had like you know, hey, we have this person or this person's a big YouTuber. Like I remember Logan Paul was in a whole bunch of stuff just because Mm -hmm. I'd be like, oh, so they just took a whole bunch of like people who do blogs on YouTube and threw them into like a movie. (laughs) Yep. It's just making me think of the old meme where it's the stick figure poking something and he's just saying, do something. Yeah. Like that's what YouTube was doing to content creators. It's like, hey, do something. Promote our stuff. Pretty much. Well, I mean, you do do that to a certain extent. I mean, even if it's outside of... It's kind of like Hollywood, right? Like, even if a movie is outside of somebody's, like, typical roles or whatever, you know, you might hire, like, the A-list actor in order to bring more views in because somebody's going to go, oh, hey, I know that person. You know, I feel like in some ways marvel is really like that now like um you know it's old hat by a couple months now but the eternals i felt that way they're like hey check it out here's a whole bunch of people you don't know who they are oh but here's angelina jolie in uh salma hayek it's like oh okay that like they'll draw people to go see the movie yeah and i think it's that was one of my biggest issues with eternals was i'm like i know that this movie is going to be like a little bit weaker just because they're trying to get all these star-studded actors and people who are starting to pop off. And it's like, the movie itself, eh. The characters that are based on, eh. But it's like, really what carried it was like the actors and the effects and stuff. And I feel like The Eternals was a movie that they kind of just shoehorned in to 
further develop plot and things that they didn't want to waste time in other movies developing. So it's kind of just a throwaway movie to explain some things. Well, I mean, maybe like part of what Marvel did there and they hadn't done this for a long time, like, you know, that stretch of like 2013 to like the to end game to like 2018. Um, Marvel mm-hmm. was taking sort of the James Bond approach to movies like it when when a director comes on to the James Bond movie, they never pick like an auteur. They never pick somebody who's got a strong visual style. They always go for like um, a company man, a middle of the road director um, or somebody who's going to not create anything that's like specific. You're not going to get like a Quentin Tarantino or a Wes Anderson so like they originally had directors like John uh, Favreau who like had a very specific style or Joss Whedon who brought something big to the Avengers. And then they mm-hmm. really got away from that. Like Edgar Wright, um, who did like Shaun of the Dead and movies like that. He did Scott Pilgrim. He's got a very distinct visual style, very distinct way of cutting. He was actually the original director for Ant-Man. And I believe he had written the script before the Marvel universe started going off before MCU. And when he started making that movie with Marvel, they're like, we need MCU. You need MCU. And he's like, I don't want to make this. I don't want to cut like this. I don't want to do this for all their like heavy restrictions. He went off to go make baby driver because of that. But there's that stretch where they really were very specific and they were holding directors to be sort of bland. And then they realized, Hey, we got to stop doing that. So with the Eternals with Chloe Zhao, who directed the film, um, they really let her have like her interest and, you know, her interest just wasn't in the action stuff. Like that stuff felt very shoehorned. She really wanted to get into the melodrama, I feel like, of the characters. And that's exactly what mm-hmm. the Eternals are. They're like a melodramatic family. Like as weird as it is, the movie is also very representative of what the comic was. Yeah. Speaking of family dramas, have you guys seen Encanto? I have not. Nope, I I got I missed out on Encanto. Like it just wasn't. Uh, I've heard so much about it, and I probably have to go see it at this point. Um, I've just been looking forward to the next Pixar film, which comes out at the time of this recording this month, uh, which is Red or Turning mm-hmm. Red. Turning Red. I'm sorry, I have no idea what you're talking about. It's about a girl who uh, apparently in her family, somehow they're like attached to some sort of uh, like spirituality or mysticism where in their family, once they hit a certain age, they turn into red pandas. <laughs> what? It looks really fun. So I don't know to, you know, future details to be had. So they turn into bloody pandas. Um, well, like, you know, panda, well, red, red pandas, pandas are like the most docile and easygoing pandas. I thought regular pandas are pretty docile, too. Like they're floppy, but strong. Yeah, but red pandas take that and then they're like, I'm so peaceful. I'm a meme. <laughs> OK, OK, so you, you're mentioning Encanto, though. Did you have somewhere to go since Sammy and I have no context? Like, you know, is it a good family drama? Is it a melodrama? It just, you know, it's it's a good film. I I don't think I loved it as much as some other people did. It 
my biggest gripe with it is it has a few songs that are really good like everyone's likely heard about we don't talk about bruno that's kind of its smash hit song it's uh the first song to hit uh let it go heights uh from frozen uh but Mm. some of the other songs just seem kind of forgettable to me um but the story itself the animation is beautiful uh it it's a story about family pressures basically Mm. how that affects members of the family and how that can tear a family apart and how to put a family back together that's that that's falling apart it has a really good message and uh overall it's it's a good film i would i would recommend watching it if you haven't i was very on the fence about watching it uh the advertisements that they did for it just didn't really pique my interest i'm right there with you like the ads for the film like had me going i don't know what it was there was just something about it. i'm like i'm kind of interested in this part but like it's not pulling me in yeah it, it didn't do anything for me either i think if you want to kind of see if it's something you like just watch the we don't talk about bruno it's just a few minutes that song and because i saw that it randomly popped up in youtube suggestions i watched that and i was like okay I'm going to go watch Encanto now because that song has everything that I felt like they should have had in advertisements because a lot of the interesting things in the movie, I didn't get from the advertisements. Hmm. Mm. Mm. Interesting. You, you know, it's you made an interesting comment, which I think is just true for musicals in general, which is you have a musical and you have, you know, a couple standout songs and then the rest are, you know, maybe they don't go that far. They're not as memorable, but that's just the nature of like, hey, we have an hour and a half movie or an hour and a half stage show and uh, the music is going to push the plot. Some of them are just going to blow up and then some of them are just like, OK, they serve their purpose. Right. And I don't know, maybe it's just because I'm nostalgic for some of the older films uh, that, you know, are musicals, but Thinking back to The Little Mermaid, most of those songs are bangers, as far as well, I remember. But it's not, you know, it has music, but I wouldn't call The Little Mermaid necessarily a full-on musical. It does have an I Want song, um, and uh, I guess it does have, uh, man, maybe it is a musical. Yeah, it's got like four songs, and they're all good, right? Yeah, a lot of those yeah, classic there, Disney movies were pretty much one, musicals. There's one song that I'm kind of mad about in The Little Mermaid, uh, but it's a really short one. It's the the Cook's song uh, where he's talking about cooking fish. See, I don't even remember that. I like yeah, I'm I thinking back and I'm like, you know, Under the Sea, banger. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. There's the song Ariel singing about what she wants. Um, her I Want song. There, There's uh, Kiss the Girl. Yep. Um, Ursula has a just fantastic song. I don't remember what it is. I just remember it's good. Uh, a note about Ursula. Uh, so one of my English teachers in high school, she reminded me a lot of Ursula. It Oof. just it felt like 
that not necessarily in a bad way not that she was evil she was the teacher that had a like students said she had uh you know corpses of problem students stuffed into her ceiling um she had that don't mess with her reputation but then and while she could be scary at times she was you know pretty nice she was one of the tougher uh teachers but she was one of the the better teachers at the school i actually uh you know enjoyed her classes and stuff like that what's that That she said she set a standard yeah she was she she had expectations whoa that being said f in the chat anybody any lady who gets compared to ursula yo that is an insult (laughs) she had the same body shape I mean, Ursula is based off of Drag Queen Divine, so... Oof. Did not know that one. Yeah, from John Walters Films. I think that's his hmm. name. And um, just disclaimer for anyone who's about to go look up, like, John Walters Films. They're, like, shock value to the extreme. Like, I I cannot remember what's the the film that put him like kind of on the map. Like it's weird because he was like this underground kind of like director. And then people like saw his stuff and were like, hey, you should direct like major motion pictures. And he was like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm look at this trash I'm making. I don't know if he necessarily call it trash, but he he understood that he had like a shock quality about him and that there was some. I don't know, inappropriate, however you want to put it, like kind of stuff. So just, you know, if, before you go check it out, go read a synopsis, go uh, go know what you're expecting, because uh, it's going to be a wild ride. That makes me think, and I don't know if I'll be able to keep it on the podcast, uh, but The Terrifier on Netflix, that's a movie that goes further than i feel like you should go in a in a horror film there's there's one kill that's it i i like horror i don't mind gore and violence i will never watch this movie just because i know what that kill is and i just don't want to have to see the scene where that kill happens fair fair Honestly, it's interesting, like, I used to, like, not mind gore stuff at all. Like, not at all. I don't know what happened, but I think I just hit a point sometime around when Punisher came out where I saw a few shows where I was like, all right, this is a lot. And then I tried to watch Punisher, and I'm like, I want to keep watching this for the plot because I appreciate the plot. But I kind of just put a point where it's like, even though the gore doesn't, bother me i just find it unnecessary now and there are some where it, like it does bother me very rarely but they exist but it's like because of it's like all right i don't need this gore fest it's not i'm that's not what i'm here for well it's like a tone thing right like i feel like there's movies that are just doing it to do it and then there's movies that utilize um the gore or kind of something that's more visceral to their advantage uh the Wolverine movie Logan did that really well where they're like hey this is an R-rated movie and things start off and he kills like people like brutally bloodily kills people but it wasn't like hey we're just gonna put gore everywhere like that set the tone for the movie like hey 
you've seen Wolverine before, but you need to be ready. We're about to tell a gritty, dark story, you know, is is different. So I didn't mind it as much as like just, oh, hey, there's limbs everywhere. I feel mm-hmm. like I'm going to need to provide some context for the terrifier thing. <laughs> yes. this, this is going to be cost. So for, for, for people listening, we'll be right back. I agree. That sounds like a lot. I mean, gore to me is the same way I kind of feel about cursing in movies. Like, um, you know, I, I like Quentin Tarantino films. When I watch Tarantino, I don't really notice the characters like cursing because it's like it's very much a part of their their dialogue, the way that they speak. It always seems natural. But there's movies where you go out and you watch like um, the Netflix movie Bright with Will Smith that like fantasy, like cyberpunk like yep. movie. I was turned off so quickly by that movie because I felt like characters were just throwing F-bombs and the S word like all over just without purpose. Like it, it didn't have a purpose other than to like, hey, let's make this movie seem tougher. And uh, I found it super distracting more than like, hey, this is a part of who the characters are. It, it felt like they were like, hey, make it grittier. Just just add whatever you think needs to be added to the dialogue. And uh, I thought that was a detriment to the movie. See, that's interesting. Um, I watched Bright. I enjoyed it. And I think for me, it was, it was another thing where it's like they I felt like there are aspects where it's like they're trying to force the merging between like humans and fantasy creatures so much that there are some scenes where it's like, all right, we get it. You live in a fictional world and these are things you have to deal with every day. But there comes a point where it's like, all right, this is just much like I'm now you're kind of just it's like you're trying to get me invested in a lore that you we all know you don't have the time to build. And there are aspects of that that are really important to like the plot later on and how things develop later on. But there are some parts where it's just like, all right, maybe the three main races are like the orcs, the humans and the elves. And then you throw in fairies and then you throw in this, that and the other. And then it's like, okay, well, okay, what else? What else? Yeah, right. The movie has a whole lot of problems, so to speak. Um, That was just I don't know why that's one movie I've always remembered. I remember when they're in the locker room scene very early that I was just I like it took me out of the movie and I couldn't get into the rest. I mean, also, the thing about Bright is it's like low key, actually just Shadowrun, which is a role playing game and like system from like the 80s, like almost to a T. It's like Shadowrun, which in Shadowrun, it's actually way cooler because the world like all of a sudden our world just like realigns to magic and like dwarves and orcs start showing up i think actually orcs and trolls and dwarves are all humans who mutate from magic so like everybody is based around the same thing it's just what you get access to highly recommend checking out shadowrun super interesting world super cool there's actually a really interesting thing in the series where um native americans are like more attuned to the spirit realm and all of a sudden magic is here and they can speak to spirits. So uh, finally, the United States like recognizes like in real sovereignty, like Native Americans. And uh, they actually are, have like a political power. It were just really interesting, like little ideas hmm. from, you know, 40 years ago. <laughs> but does the spirit world have oil? I don't know. You know, um, that's probably I- why. 
I don't remember. I mean, look, Shadow Punk is a huge... Er, wow, Cyberpunk. Shadowrun is a hugely influential cyberpunk like piece of media. Like, if you go start reading about it, you'll be like, hey, wait a second. I've seen all this stuff before in different places. So, I mean, you need to... I, I think anybody should take a look at it if you're interested in sci-fi and knowing how science fiction has developed in the last, like, 40 years. Hmm. Interesting. So, yeah. Hey, we're hitting about an hour and a half here. I think it's about time to uh, kind of wrap things up for last three brain cells. Yeah. Sounds uh, about th- This brain cell concurs. Yep. This half a brain cell concurs. Oh, shoot. Uh, This third of a brain cell concurs. This third of a brain cell also concurs. Sammy, we all know your two brain cells. Stop trying to hide the other two. It really doesn't feel that way, but I will take the compliment. All right. Well, signing off, I guess, big episode on uh, genocide and uh, how it shows up in children's media. You know, genocide and children they just go hand in hand no no they don't (laughs) they're both gross and uh things that can be controversial depending on how you talk about them uh ending point star wars and the younglings boom fuck them kids